Hello everyone, and welcome back to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Justin Scase, Senior Editor of the EHS Daily Advisor and Safety Decisions Magazine. As an environment health and safety professional, there's a good chance that you've gotten the feeling that you are perceived as a cost center by senior management. However, whenever you try to communicate the value of EHS in a meeting, are you met with blank stares, sideways looks, or just in general feel like you're speaking a foreign language? It's a perpetual challenge for professionals in this field, and knowing how to communicate is a must. But how can you learn the lingo you need to convey value across the company? Well, we're getting some help in today's episode, sponsored by Cority, as we're talking to a dedicated EHS veteran who can help you learn the language you need to make an impact within your organization. Joining us today is Pamela Bobbitt, Vice President of Product Marketing at Cority, where she is in charge of driving the go-to-market strategy and product vision for the company's unified, true software-as-a-service platform. Pamela began her career as a field chemist specializing in hazardous waste management before becoming an EHS manager for a leading automotive supplier. After spending over 15 years as an EHS professional in progressive roles across the pharmaceutical, chemical, and automotive industries, she leveraged her deep regulatory compliance expertise and passion for technology and entered the EHS software industry. Pamela has over a decade of industry experience working with prominent EHS software vendors, helping enterprises map complex business processes into successful technology programs that drive measurable outcomes. Pamela, welcome, and thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us at EHS on Tap. Uh, thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here today. Great. So what are some of the big communication issues that happen between EHS and the rest of the company? Where are wires most likely to get crossed or other misunderstandings most likely to occur? I think it really comes down to the terminology that we use as EHS professionals when we're speaking. Uh, we love mm -hmm. our acronyms that tech speak. And so we come across, huh. we're very skilled and very passionate about what we do. Um, and that's one of the things people kind of get lost. So I always, when I have presentations talk about, uh, it's kind of like the Big Bang Theory, right? If, you, if you've mm -hmm. ever watched that, right? You have yep. Sheldon, the character, who is this very specialized, intelligent, and he knows his space and he talks to it very well. And when he's speaking to Penny, Right, who is you know comes from Nebraska and has been a waitress and uh, a pharmaceutical sales rep. She just you know looks at him with that and just typically you know gives a like eye roll and says okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's kind of to the extreme, but that's kind of how uh, sometimes I think our internal stakeholders feel because we don't translate that those acronyms and and we typically don't make the connection for them. And, um, and that leads to perceptions of, you know, conflicting objectives or conflicting priorities. Okay. So, you know, while, while attitudes are changing, you know, we hope, uh, but, but too often the EHS department is viewed as a, a cost center within the business. So what business languages, uh, if you will, do health and safety pros need to learn in order to change this perception? Well, the good news is, is I think that the perception is changing and, and, 
initiatives mm. such as ISO 45001 and the whole ISO structure aligning the programs, the management system to the overall corporate objectives is helping with that. Mm-hmm. But but what you need to un- understand is that, again, that, that point of view from those different stakeholders. So if you take typically uh, the different people who are interacting on a almost daily basis, you know, operations, production, IT, you know, that mm-hmm. C-level, that senior management level, even HR, well, you have to learn their languages. So from an operations perspective, you know, what, what they know numbers, right? Uh, number of widgets sure. out the door, uh, percent downtime, uh, you know, the IT is, is talking about, you know, management of their tech stack and their different systems and security and the C-level, of course, it's the dollar sign. It's the revenue. Like, how, how is this driving revenue? And from an mm. HR perspective, the terminology is, you know, um, you know benefits and uh, turnover and, and compensation. So th- those are the type of languages, right, that you have to learn is the language of those different stakeholders and translating your activities and how it impacts their business, so translate it into their language. So, for instance, the uh, the C level is pretty pretty easy. It's getting easier now with a lot of statistics, and I'm I'm sure we'll go into it more. But you know, mm-hmm. what is the impact of this initiative to the C level? Um, I'll also take for operations. One of the things that we always typically, and again, I came from. Um, I've been on a manufacturing line for a couple of times. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I always got pushed back on from a perspective of operations was taking people away for training, right? Mm. We all know that you have to do training. And and I'll, I'll give an example here that was done in Australia that actually kind of hits all of you know, three of those different departments from an operations, from a C-level and from an HR. So this was an initiative that was done for training, right? And and typically the pushback for training is going to be operations says automatically, well, how long are they going to be, you know, off the line if you take a manufacturing line? How long are they going to be off? Because they have to worry about putting people on. And again, what are they worried about? Mm-hmm. Hitting their numbers of how many widgets they're supposed to get out for that shift, right? And right. overall that day. So, and then the C-level is thinking about, okay, training costs money, but we're trying to get better revenue and return on our investment. And HR is thinking, okay, I, I focus in on the employee and turnover and benefits and compensation. So, um, wellness is a, as people know, is, is one of these key initiatives. And, and mm. in Australia, they did a study on a mental health training program. So they took a select group of managers and they had a 10 to one return on the investment. Oh, wow. And it really, yeah. And it, we really talked to all different things. So for one, that 10 to one investment. So for instance, you had that monetary value. So the total training cost was a thousand seventeen Aussie dollars per manager, right? And then if you calculated the reduction that they saw in work-related sicknesses and absences, because they were able, they were trained on how to recognize, you know, fatigue, stress, mental health, and could address it with the employees. It saved because of the reduction in workplace illnesses. It saved ten dollars and fifteen cents 
on each per manager's line, right? So hmm. it, it really, that's how you talk to the C-level. From an HR perspective, right, you have less absenteeism. From an operations perspective, right, what does the less absenteeism mean to that production manager? It means that his people are going to be there. He doesn't have to worry at the beginning of a shift that he's got to put in maybe contractors, which then they have to do extra training, which he's concerned that it's going to take extra time for mm. them to learn. From a safety perspective, if you have a contractor in there, you have to get them up to speed, all of those things. So you can take something like that, like a training, and really talk to all of the different perspectives, but then just change that language from HR to say, hey, you know, they're going to get their training, they're going to recognize mental health, that goes to kind of those benefits that you're giving to the employee, mm-hmm. you're going to, you're going to address and concern the overall safety, that compensation, it helps, you know, drive down your insurance costs, which everybody um, benefits from, from the healthcare, especially in the US. But you know, from a production, it's saying your people are going to be there more often. And this was just like, you know, a third of it. So there's really, um, if you think about from a C level, there's no better investment right now, a 10 to one investment, if you want to get some revenue, invest in your wellness program, because that's good. Yeah, a, a 10 to one return. Wow. So, so that's a, that's a lot of different languages to learn, you know, between all of those various departments that you mentioned. So, uh, who are the best people within an organization to turn to in order to get help learning the lingo? I, I realize it'll vary depending on the business, but what are some best practices for EHS to find uh, to find mentorship within a company when it comes to learning how to communicate with senior leadership or these other departments you've been talking about? Well, the great thing is that EHS has always been at the table at like cross-functional steering committee. So that would be the mm. first place that, you know, I would start to look for your new BFF um, <laughs> in, in another department is, you know, you're engaging, you know, typically you're engaging with these steering committees you know, once a month or maybe once a quarter, but you can make that more often. Those are going to be the ones who are likely because they're on the same committee with you, um, you kind of know them already, that you have some common interests because you are on the steering committee. So it's easier to start to have those conversations beyond the steering committee. The, the mm. other one that I always say is uh, we all know and we can perceive, you know, that person who always seems to be everywhere in the company, that, that, that visual <laughs> yep. person, that, that person who uh, people listen to, no matter what department always has that good, make, you know, approach that person as a mentor in a program. Uh, I've been very lucky in my career that I've had really great um, mentors uh, to help teach me like different perspectives, you know, technology, when I first came over the technology side, and, and not really understanding what a relational database was, or what it means for, you know, the, the string was cut, or, or, you know, all of these different things. And I wasn't afraid to ask, because I knew that they knew that I didn't, it's not that I'm, I don't want to understand, it's just I had never experienced it before. So I would find that that person that you feel you can have that conversation and say, Hey, can you just explain this to me? I do it now too, from a marketing um, perspective 
uh, I, I never knew what a hamburger was. And we were doing some work around a website and they're t- talking about a hamburger. And I just raised my hand and said, no, I'm sorry, I don't know what a hamburger is. Cause yeah. <laughs> I do, but not in this context. <laughs> and so, and so it's that thing too, as an EHS professional, even as seasoned, um, you know, that's the politically correct way to say I'm old, that seasoned, you know, professional to not be afraid to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm sorry, can you explain this to me? Because I haven't experienced it before. So that's another thing too. So look for the steering committee. Um, Look for that person who seems to to be the it person within the organization. Mm -hmm. And also don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one quick question for you. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but what is a hamburger? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if you... Typically, you'll see it on an app, but you'll see it on a bunch of web pages where you have the like multiple lines and you and you know that you click that and it opens like a menu. Oh, okay, sure. That, that's a hamburger. Oh, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so, so it's really about just uh, sort of developing positive relationships within the company. Then it is finding the person, and again, it's. Um, I, I say, you know, make new BFFs. It, it's mm-hmm. it's no different than we you were in high school if you're navigating the different groups or wanting to to learn more about you know a different um, like sports team or a club or something like that. It's it's that same kind of concept. Okay, so um, well, what about external sources? You know, I've I've heard a lot that in order to learn a language well, which is basically what we're talking about here. Uh, learners should read books or watch TV shows or movies that are in the language that they're trying to learn, you know, essentially immerse themselves in the language. So should EHS professionals maybe be reading any particular publications, uh, watching any particular shows, or consuming any other kind of content that might help them bridge these business language barriers that we're talking about today? So I start with, if you haven't read, and I'm sure most EHS professionals have read, um, actually read the monthly reports that are usually on the internal um, internet sites. That's going to give you uh, visibility Mm -hmm. and knowing what things are of concern to each department, right? So that's going to, like what their objectives are, because that's a clue. But Mm -hmm. as far as like outside your own company, there's more, it, it's really great. Again, right now, there's there's more and more. Um, I, I've seen a couple of conferences as well. Uh, there's some things that uh, uh, we're doing on, on webinars and such, but there's a lot of conferences where you've got those sessions on how do you translate it. There's also um, more, you know, um, there's books. The ROI of safety is a great mm. one for translating and having that business case you know you always have to have a business case because if somebody right. says you're for instance if, if i would have just told you in that instance of the training that wellness you can wellness provides you a, a 10 to 1 return on investment people would typically look at me and go yeah right right <laughs> but i had the business case of this mm-hmm. small little pilot with all the details backing it up and then people go oh okay now mm-hmm. i understand where you're getting it from so that's a great book uh, um, ROI safety that has a lot of examples uh, mm-hmm. to help you understand that. And then um, of course we, we all have taken these 
personality test at one point in time. Myers-Briggs, DISC, mm. there's, there's several of them. Mm-hmm. But, but go back to that and think about not just about where you end up, right, on those scales, mm-hmm. but when you're trying to have a conversation and you're trying to make new friends, you have to take in consideration where they end up on those scales. So mm-hmm. for instance, I have one that I keep um, on my desk uh, with all the different people that I talk to about what are some of the cues, how do you recognize what type of person they are by the, by the language that they use and how they speak. Mm. Knowing that, that you can then change the way you typically speak and align more directly with them helps you build that um, relationship faster and stronger because you're going to relate to them not only from a language perspective, but you're also putting it into their style of how they work. So, of course, verbal communication, which is mostly what we've been talking about here, that's that's just part of the story. You know, uh, some EHS professionals, they might not have the opportunity to actually speak at the C-suite table and a lot of times will need to express their ideas and their concerns in written format through memos, emails, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's a whole different set of limitations, but also opportunities. So what are some good strategies for EHS professionals who need to communicate with business leaders primarily with the written word? I'd say with the visual word. Um, Visual word, okay. (laughs) So typically what's best and, and resonates with people is don't give them too much information. And again, because Mm. EHS professionals, we're, we're, we have so much information. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to we have to pare it down so that people can absorb it. Uh, and now with technology and the ability to use visuals, right, to convey mm-hmm. that that story, um, it's faster. It's what pe- people are used to. It's the trend going forward as all of these younger um, professionals come up. That's what they're used to, right? Snapchats. Mm-hmm. Snapshots mm. and pictures, the visuals. So creating that visual, but just a little bit of context, um, more detail behind it. Like the picture should tell the story and then you should highlight a couple of things related to that that are concise. Again, you know, mm. reread it to say, oh my gosh, if I'm using a, a technical word that they don't understand, then you need to translate that. And again, remember your audience. So for instance, if I'm sending, you know, PowerPoint dashboard of some graphs, you know, whether it's pie charts or bar charts and Mm -hmm. objectives versus objectives, right? It needs to say, it needs to represent what people care about. So for instance, we just did one with a customer where they wanted to show the program and the support of the program and, and initially had talked about the fact that, oh, you know, it was on schedule and on budget. Well, great, but the C level, yeah, they care. The CFO cares that that was on budget, but what else does he care about, and what else? Mm-hmm. So, with this program, show that before the program and the project, that your cost per container um, of transportation per container was, you know, twenty five dollars. And now with the system, because you know and have visibility to this, you can optimize your transportation costs. Now you're driving down to you know twelve dollars per container. 
Um, and that's huge, right? Mm, so mm -hmm. that's, so giving that visual. So again, giving them the visual, but also putting it in the context. Now, if I did that to operations, they wouldn't care right? or, or HR. But if you did that to the C-suite, then they're like, oh my gosh. Mm. So again, tell the story and how it impacts your audience. Absolutely. Uh, any particular um, statistics that you think are particularly powerful uh, 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 across these groups? Well, operations, they care about, um, especially if you're in manufacturing, they care about downtime. Uh, okay. So if you can translate what you're doing, will um, optimize your uptime, right? Or, you mm -hmm. know, decrease the amount of downtime that you have because in, in that impact, they're going to pay attention. Sure. So, so from a EHS perspective, like they might be interested in your dart rate. Um, sh correct. Right. And, and if, but you have to translate that because they won't know what right. a dart, dart rate is. Okay. Mm. Um, and so what you have to say is, you know, this is your, you know, your dart rate relates to the number of incidents, which then can relate to the fact that you've got um, lines shut down for, you know, a little bit of time based off of the, the incidents. And that if the dart rate, um, based off of that dart rate, then yes, your, your uptime is going to be more beneficial. So, I mean, I've found that um, a key to good communication in the workplace is to be able to see things from other departments' perspectives and frame your conversations accordingly, which, which you've been talking about a little bit here. So, but however, if senior management's perspective right now is that EHS is a waste of money or a cost center, you don't really want to reinforce that sort of thinking. So, how can EHS develop this communication skill, this skill of viewing different business perspectives without sacrificing any of the urgency and importance that must be given to environment health and safety issues? Well, it's it's not, it, that's the great thing about this now is understanding this kind of helping translate and bringing it to it. It's not changing that urgency, Right. It's just getting everybody on board with that urgency without them knowing it in a way. So for, let's take the DART rate, right? Days away from work, job transfer, restricted job duties. That impacts operations, okay? So for instance, the report that I would probably typically do, of course, be from my perspective, um, is to do that DART rate and I compare it to Benchmark and others and um, how we're performing for my programs, okay? So what I would do for a DART rate for operations, then same information, and this is where technology comes in, is that because you can bring all of these different, you know, uptime and downtime from your different systems that are catching, capturing this, then you can do a report that shows, you know, based off of the DART rate, here's the correlation between your uptime and downtime, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so when operation sees that, that DART rate being low equates to increased uptime, right? Mm -hmm. Then they're on board and you haven't lost your sense of urgency. You've just got someone on board with you to make sure right. to know it's a sense of urgency because they now understand the impact to their side, right? From, mm. from their perspective. And of course, you know, a, a dart rate to human resources 
you know, it's the the company workers comp and case management and mm. elements with that um, potential turnover. Um, and, and so when your DART rate is low, of course, for them, they have less um, administrative, you know, efforts that have going on with, you know, managing that case management. If it's managed by HR, that's my um, perspective from my automotive manufacturing days is, is that went into HR. But the other thing is that um, you have that DART rate and then what it means now to the C-level. So, mm. for instance, you can translate that. Now, I'm trying to come up with a, and that's from a money savings and, of course, overall putting it all together, right? Less absenteeism means, you know, um, people are there, which means, you know, that cost savings um, of having to bring in contractors, et cetera. Um, operations knows you've got more uptime, which means they're going to meet their targets. Now, from an IT perspective, I'm trying to come up with an idea of why IT would care about the, the dark <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but, but doing it all in one system, I think, you know, if you can find a system and make those interconnections, that's where IT is going to, that's where they're going to come on board with it. Hmm. Great. So, so we talked a little bit about this, but I just want to talk about it a little bit more. We've been talking a lot about EHS learning new business language, but, but what about the reverse? How can health and safety pros go about teaching other people in their company, from senior management to frontline employees, how can they go about teaching them the language of the EHS function and why it's important? That's a great question. It, and it comes, it, you, you kind of reverse it. So it's kind of like a the coaching perspective. Mm-hmm. So for instance, in, instead of saying typically where EHS would say, um, let's take the training example because we took that and took it across. So sure. typically EHS, um, typical, I'm, I'm guilty of it as an EHS manager, is to say, we, we must do training. We must mm-hmm. re- do training because it is required for us to do training. And, you know, you can't argue with me because we must do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that typically, um, you know, doesn't go over well with anybody, no matter what department you're in or who you are. Like if you tell somebody you must do, right? And, yep. and don't tell them the understanding of it. So it, it's more of, you know, taking the time. We know why we're doing it and we know the importance, but you have to take the time again to do that. So like if I wanted to do training and I was going to get budget for the training, what I would do is is tie it to our corporate objectives. So for Mm. instance, a lot of organizations, again, it's a great time for EHS because everything's aligning for us to really, you know, shine now. So I talked about the ISO 45001. The other thing is mm-hmm. that the C-level is really understanding the impact of safety culture, right? Mm, and right. that, and all the, and one of those is, of safety culture is making sure that the employees feel like they are working in a company that appreciates them and mm. under, and, and respects them. Right. And so putting wellness programs together, in Europe, they're doing it a lot. We're seeing more and more in the U.S. as well. We've We've done it a lot. I, I did one way back in my in my day a long time ago about smoking cessation. But, you know, wellness is one of those that is, you know, that feel good. So um, the wellness program, it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the, the mental health training and the impact. So when you talk about it, right, everybody's going to say, okay, what's this cost? And typically the conversation EHS or me in my early days would have is to say, it's going to cost this and here's who I'm going to do. And this is, you know, we're going to do it because it's the right thing or 
typically, you know, typically when we do training, it's, it's required, but in this case, it's a nice thing. So that's even harder to go by. But again, if in my presentation to the group and this, and, and the steering committee that's presented, I say, what it's going to do for us is one, from an employee perspective, right? We're going to focus on and help address the employees. This is going to, in turn, right, based off of studies that have been done, mm-hmm. um, reduce absenteeism, right? Mm. So from an operations perspective, that is going to impact the number of contractors we may need. It's going to reduce our you know, rate of en- potential incidents because we all know that our incident rate goes up with the contractors. Remember, I've already taught you what that DART rate means for Uh the impact. So, you know, and again, so it's when you're presenting, making sure that you're kind of kind of teaching and tailoring that presentation to each person in the room Mm. so that they understand that there's and they'll start to get there's reasons why we do this. So, for you know, if you're saying. Um, let's take a mandatory training, right? Uh, forklift training has to be done and it has to be done every time um, there's, you know, the driver of the forklift has an incident, mm. right? That's the regulatory requirement. You have to do training. But right. if you, and we typically just say as AHS people, because we're so busy and resource constraint, typically, we just say mm-hmm. you, ha- you have to do it because it's required, right? And just right. Leave, leave it at that. Well, mm-hmm. like add on the extra, it, it is a mandatory requirement, but why it's a mandatory requirement is for the reason that it's a refresher training to ensure that they covered anything that they maybe missed or reinforce. And what that's going to do for you is the fact that you're not going to most likely have this again because they get that refresher training. And yes, they'll be away, but pay it's kind of paying it forward. Right. So if you if you have that conversation, mm-hmm. then I think it's better for them to understand why it's important for these regulatory requirements. Definitely. So before we sign off, I have one final question for you. A lot of our audience is probably thinking, you know, great, I'm already ridiculously busy and now I have to basically learn a new language as well. You know, it it might feel a bit frustrating as a lot of folks who work in this space feel, and I would say rightfully so, like the value of environment, health, and safety should really be very obvious at this point. Yet it seems like they're always the ones who have to go the extra mile to convey value to business. So what words of encouragement or advice do you have for these professionals? Um... It's so I say right now, it's the time that everybody is up to listening and it it doesn't Mm -hmm. take a lot of effort for you to to kind of think about it. Now, if you haven't thought that way, um, it does take any time you learn a new skill. It does take a little bit of time, but the the benefit and reward is so huge by Mm -hmm. thinking about making it personal to each person that you are speaking to. Mm-hmm. That just takes a little bit of time, right? It's kind of like take a breath. Okay, so um, I, I'm talking to the plant manager. And so if I'm going into his office and then I, I walk in and, and typically, like I would always get that, oh, oh no, here she, here she is, like face. <laughs> um, you kind of, you know, one, kind of set the stage for the conversation. So one, if it's kind of like, an, which we know a lot of times we have to like, like stress the urgency. But again, if you think about the skills of remember who you're talking to, one, like what department are they in? And two, what's their style? 
right? Mm. I, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very open, fluffy style, like, you know, and very extroverted. But sometimes a lot of people with, with maintenance and they're very introverted. So you have to think about, you know, okay, I have to sense urgency, but if I come at them this way with a big, you know, story um, and, and all encompassing, that might overwhelm them and they're going to push back on me. But if mm. I change my conversation and say, okay, they're very straightforward and they just need to know the, the brass tacks, and I shorten it and just say, hey, I, I walked out on the line. There is a, a problem with the machine guarding. If we don't uh, address it quickly, then this is going to result in some downtime for you because we're headed for quality issues, you know, potential incidents and maintenance problems. Mm. Why don't we get together and figure this out so we can address it um, in the next maintenance shift, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they know clear and precise, right? I understand the problem. I understand how it impacts me. And I've, I've offered a, a solution. So from an operations perspective, that's like, okay, great, you know, very precise. What am I need to do it and how are we going to address it? Excellent. Well, that's some really good advice for our audience of EHS professionals. Um, Thank you again, Pamela, for joining us today on EHS on Tap. Well, thank you. I hope it was uh, useful. Yes, absolutely. And we'd also like to thank Cority for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to keep an eye out for new episodes of EHS on Tap, and keep reading the EHS Daily Advisor to stay on top of your safety and environmental compliance obligations, get the latest and best practices, and keep your finger on the pulse of all things related to the EHS industry. Until next time, this is Justin Scase for EHS on Tap.